Well, good morning, everyone. Open your songbooks to number 23, Worthy of Worship. We are gathered together as worshipers, and I trust that we realize it is he that is worthy of all our worship. Number 23. God, thank you that you and you alone are worthy of all our worship, all our praise, and the one who sustains our lives physically but eternally through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father God, I ask you that we would never forget, never neglect to give you honor as we go about the days you give us in this world, tomorrow, this week ahead, and this hour together. We thank you for it, and I ask that in every aspect that you would be worshipped in our giving, in our singing, in our reading of the scriptures and opening of the Bible and fellowship together. Heavenly Father, I also ask you that Jesus Christ would be magnified during this time together. I do pray for the Janungs and ask for your healing for them and others who have been uh, ill last week. I thank you that some are better and others. I ask you for their healing touch for them as well. May you be the one who has worshipped this hour. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take up your Bibles and open them to... Psalm chapter 40 for our scripture reading. And stand for our scripture reading, please. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5. This is a psalm of David pertaining to faith persevering in trial. Verse 1. 
I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. And as we sing this song, Children's Church is Dismissed, open your songbooks again to number 421, Higher Ground. let's open our Bibles to James. A couple people commented about my library tie this morning, and I had to look at it, and James is right where the microphone is, so I chose the book of James today. (laughs) I guess that's one way to do it. That's not exactly how it came about, but that's one way I guess could be done. (laughs) This sermon is from the Epistle of James today, and we'll explore the historical context and consider the penman that the Lord used to record this portion of his word. In Sunday school today, we talked about God's penman somewhat. Our goal should always be to understand the meaning and then apply the message to our personal lives. James 1.1 James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greeting Heavenly Father, I ask you Lord God, that we would recognize 
This is your word. It is the Holy Scriptures that we deal with. And Father God, I thank you for the variety of different people you use to record your word over the centuries and that you have preserved it for us to be able to enjoy today. And yet, it should change us. Once we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I recognize there must be, there has to be a change that takes place in each and every one of us. You've told us if any man be in Christ, they are a new creation or creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And Father God, as we are in the process of becoming new through the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in the believer, I ask you that we would apply what we learn out of your word to our lives. Maybe, Father, I don't know. There could be someone here who is not yet your child, not yet born again from above, who needs their sin forgiven, who needs eternal life. Father God, I ask you that you would impress upon their hearts today to make that decision real, to make that decision today without hesitation. And Heavenly Father, I ask you that as we consider this epistle in your word over the next several weeks and months, that you would be the one who guides, teaches, and blesses. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. This series of sermons, I might call highlights from James, I don't know, are part of God's direction for me. It's his course that he has set for the journey ahead. Our last series, I enjoyed it, I don't know about you, but it was the Old Testament book of Obadiah, the prophet to Edom. And now we go to a completely different type of person, a completely different type of reading. The epistle that James wrote to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Interesting. This New Testament letter or epistle in its 108 verses will take us from the value of trials and problems in the Christian life, chapter 1, verse 2, to the value of prayer as a Christian. Chapter 5, verse 16. We will find out where man can find true wisdom and where truly good things come from, like the verse on the front of your bulletins. We'll learn about poverty and riches, arguments and patience, We'll consider what demons believe and what Abraham believed and what we are to believe. We'll learn to resist the devil, pride and boasting and gossip. That's a big portion of James right there. A major theme of the epistle is the truth that genuine faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation will produce a changed person. One who loves to serve the Savior and do good works. We often quote, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Chapter 1, verse 22. And chapter 4, verse 17 tells us, if we know to do good and do it not, to us it's sin. It should produce a changed life in us once we're saved. Rebecca and I were talking, and I said, I sometimes tell people, if there's no change, then there's no change. As soon as a person has told me their testimony about salvation, I almost always, I can't say always, but I think so, ask them, was there a change in your life after that? No, I was always a good person. Well, then I have a red flag that goes up. 
No, you weren't always a good person. There should be a change. And James really, really points to that. Genuine salvation changes a person. James is a practical book. It's a straightforward part of the Bible. Drawn, it draws us down here to earth where we live, where the rubber meets the road, you know? James is that kind of book for everyday living. And I call it a section in our divine library of 66 books. James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Think about it as we study James together. We have a resource here that must be mined, a treasure at our fingertips, an adventure to explore together. I know Chuck and Chris like to go out and break rocks with hammers and things like that, and they're looking for different kinds of treasure than some. Some of you have done some treasure hunting of your own. I know that. This is a treasure for us that we must mine and not neglect. One that can be discovered, but as James says, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Chapter 1, verse 25. So let's begin today with some study that will help us as we delve into this epistle together. As it is written in 2 Timothy 2.15, we must study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So today, we must ask a few questions together as we look at verse 1. Yes, you can build a sermon on verse 1. In fact, you can build a sermon, in a lot of cases, one word in a verse. There's so much information about that. We're just going to look at verse 1 today. Who, when, what, where, why, and how are good questions to ask as you study your Bible. Yes, I know that some Bible students like to use big terminology like the histiocultural, syntactical, and contextual analyses. Let's just ask who, when, what, and those questions. But we still start with who. James is the first word in this epistle. Who? Who was James? A while back I heard... For the first time in professional baseball history, there is a player, I don't know if he still is a professional player, but he played first base, and his last name was Hu, H-U. And we can, I see Chuck smiling at that, who's on first, right? (laughs) You remember that story. (laughs) Well, who was James, okay? Let's... Leave that aside for a moment. Who was James? There are four possibilities. Some that study this say just three. There are a couple that suggest two. But there are four possibilities. Four men in the New Testament with the name James. Which one? Well, the Greek equivalent to the Old Testament Hebrew name was is Jacob. I said that backwards. Oh, well. The Hebrew equivalent to James is Jacob from the Old Testament supplanter. Remember Jacob and Esau from our study in Obadiah? And, of course, back in Genesis, twins. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, and then Jacob stole Esau's blessing, which Isaac, their father, intended for Esau. That was the background for Obadiah, and it caused world conflict back in their day. And by the way, there's still some conflicts going on from that. And yet, don't worry about that. James is just the equivalent to Jacob. If you go from Greek, James, to Hebrew, it's Jacob. There was the Apostle James, John's brother. We'll be doing a lot of turning to passages in our Bibles, but I'll just read this for us. In Matthew 4, verse 21, we read... And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren. The first was Andrew and Peter. 
And he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. There was James the apostle, John's brother. In Matthew 10, 2, it says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and so on. And in Mark three seventeen it says, And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Bojaners, which is the sons of thunder. These two brothers must have been quite the brawlers, maybe we would stereotype them as the first um, <clears throat> Irish, I don't know, the, I don't know, fighting Irish, that kind of thing. No, these two brothers, though, were known for that. But it was not like the brother of John, it was not, I'm sorry, it was not likely the brother of John, the Apostle James, because of what it says in Acts 12. Go to Acts chapter 12. It was not likely the Apostle James. Acts chapter 12. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. Now about that time, that's 44 A.D., the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaturians, or four files of soldiers, to keep him intending after Easter, the old King James says, the uh, Passover, to bring him forth unto the people. And then we learn the story about how God miraculously did that. And, and there was uh, Rhoda who, who didn't let him in when God answered the, the church's prayers back then. Um, so it's because James was martyred in 44 AD. There are several reasons it's not likely the Apostle James. <coughs> Excuse me. Then there were two others, a father and a son, who both bear the, bore the name James. The son is called James the Less. You've probably heard of him. In Mark 15, verse 40 and this is at the Lord's crucifixion in Mark 15 37 it says and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost he said truly this man was the son of God there were also women looking on far off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. John put it this way in John 19.25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. Cleopas was clearly the Lord's uncle in this case, on Mary's side and called James the son of Alphaeus in Matthew 10, verse 3. James the less would have been the Lord's cousin. Other than that information, we know very little about these two men. That's about it. The Lord Jesus had a brother who bore the name James. And should we say half-brother? Yes, we should. Because his half-brother, James, had a human father named Joseph, of course. The Lord Jesus Christ did not. Mary, when she bore the Lord Jesus Christ, was conceived 
only by the Holy Ghost. Let's go to Matthew 13, okay? Matthew chapter 13. And this will ring a bell with Valerie. We talked about this a year ago or so. In Matthew 13, verse 53. Matthew 13, 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And then he goes to Nazareth, if you will. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hast this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? The Roman Catholic teaching of Mary's immaculate conception, which they do not mean simply that she was a virgin. There was more to it than that. She was sinless. And her perpetual virginity and her assumption are heresy, unbiblical heresy. Can you imagine... James and Joseph here and Simon and Judas and their sisters having a brother like Jesus. Can you imagine that? Do you ever think about things like that? He would never, ever cheat at a game. All the others probably did. How many of, well, all of us cheated at games at one time or another, didn't we? But not Jesus. He was the perfect brother. He would never lose a game. Huh. He would never lose a game? He was a perfect craftsman. He never cut anything too long or too short, Shane. He never did. (laughs) Shane doesn't either. Well, most of the time. (laughs) Guess what? Jesus never told a lie. He never told a boastful story. He, he was the brother that would always answer his parents with just the right tone in his voice. Really. Think about it. The girls thought he was perfect, and he was. He always honored God. He always honored his parents, and he always honored the magistrate without a mistake. He did that right. Mom and dad might say, why can't you be more like your brother? (laughs) Dodie didn't do that because she didn't have sons. (laughs) I'm teasing. He could pitch a perfect game every time. (laughs) He could shoot better than Robin Hood. He could remember everything. Everything everything that you ever said or did. He would, on the other hand, always share and always be pleasant and God-honoring because he was God. That would be a brother to have that I think James and his other siblings reacted against that. I'll explain in a few moments. It may have taken some time, but James eventually overcame all of that, maybe his jealousy or whatever it was, he finally did. But at first he did not believe. Go to John 7, verse 5. John 7, verse 5. He, all the evidence was there before them, including James. In John chapter 7, verse 5, we read this. <clears throat> For neither did his brethren believe in him. As the Apostle John wrote this, he realized that the Lord's half-brothers didn't believe. For Yep. Not at first, anyway. James later became a pillar in the early church and was the pastor in Jerusalem for years. He was converted when he saw the Lord Jesus after his resurrection. James believed. 
and believing in the resurrection of Christ is necessary to salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the third verse tells us that we must believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And when James saw his half-brother Jesus risen from the dead, he believed. He was saved. He was born again. And he was changed. It changed James. If you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the seventh verse tells us after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Often, James is named This one half-brother of the Lord Jesus became a follower of his brother. In Acts 1, verse 14, we see that. I'll turn there briefly. In Acts chapter 1, the 14th verse, this is what we read. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm one chapter off. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. After the Lord rose from the grave, 40 days later, he ascended up to heaven and his brothers believed and were saved. Acts twelve sixteen. Peter continued knocking and we didn't get to that about Rhoda. And anyway... And when they had opened the door and saw him, this was, Rhoda didn't open the door. She saw that it was Peter and ran to tell everybody else and left the door closed. Anyway, they, he continued knocking. Um, and it goes on to say, and saw him and were astonished, but he beckoned unto them with a hand and to hold their peace and declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go show these things unto James. And to the brethren, and he departed and went into another place. Here's another one. Paul and Barnabas were before the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring that miracles and wonders, what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeonath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets. In Galatians 1.18 it says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him, this is the Apostle Paul writing, 15 days. But other of the apostles saw none save James, the Lord's brother, who was at Jerusalem as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Now, the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Chapter 2, Galatians 2, 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto, them, unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. <clears throat> this was after the martyrdom of the Apostle James. So this was the Lord's brother, James, the half-brother of Christ, if you will. Jude was one of the others that we read about back in Matthew 13. And Jude 1.1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called Then he goes on to say, Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So both James and Jude were the Lord's half-brothers who became believers and actually changed men and served God and wrote portions of our Bible. It It might seem impossible 
in a way for these men to believe that Jesus, their half-brother, is God. But it's not impossible, for with God all things are possible. Internal evidence seems to indicate that James, the Lord's brother, was the penman of this epistle. Many similarities show up with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and the epistle to the, uh, written by James. And the reason for that is the similarities in the way brothers would speak in, growing up in the same home. Language similarities with James' speech in Acts chapter 15 and the way James' this epistle was written are another indicator that it was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I believe the evidence is very strong that it was James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, is who God used to record this portion of his word. James, this James, was martyred in 62 A.D., and it could not have been after that, so the epistle was written somewhere before 62 A.D. The epistle of James, though written to Jewish Christians, does not mention the dispute in Acts chapter 15, where James moderated, and that occurred in about 49 or 50 A.D., so it would have had to have been, most likely, before 49 or 50 A.D. The use of ecclesia, which is translated church, shows up only once in the writing of James, James 5.14. And the use in James 2, verse 2, of synagogue in place of assembly indicates that James wrote before the church had developed much, more likely falling into the historical setting of Acts chapters 2 through 10. James does not address anything in regard to Paul's doctrinal writings, such as Romans or Galatians. So the indication is that James wrote first, a concluding probability is about 45 A.D. Bible scholar Weston says James was the first epistle to the Christians. The earliest writing in our New Testament. I know it comes toward the end, but it was the earliest one written. Even Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D., and this most likely about 45 AD, just putting it in, into its setting. So that's when. And then, why? Because James wrote to certain individuals. In James 1, 1, it says to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. <clears throat> so there are four possibilities as far as who he wrote to. I know it says the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Would that be all Jewish people everywhere around the world? No, because of verse 2. My brethren counted all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. He says, my brethren. That means believers. So that's not Jewish people worldwide because they're not all believers. Or weren't all believers, especially back then. Certainly not now. So the second possibility is Gentile believers, and that's uh, uh, immediately canceled out. The third possibility is his church in Jerusalem that had faced several splits. No, it wasn't that, because it's the 12 tribes. So the only realistic answer to who was this written to, why did James write, is that Christian Jews who had moved away from Jerusalem. They were his primary audience and they had faced several trials already and persecution and some martyrdom. It's worthy of going back to Acts chapter 8 and picking this up. Acts chapter 8 where we read in verses 1 through 4 and Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death 
his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And about men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Go to chapter 11, Acts 11, verse 19. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we read this. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them, this is a side note, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of believed and turned unto the Lord. I believe that James was writing to believers who were scattered abroad from the twelve tribes of Israel, the Jewish believers that were scattered abroad because of the persecution against the church. Fourthly, is the epistle inspired of God. I'm so glad for the timing of something like this because of our Sunday school lesson this morning. Is the epistle inspired of God? Let me read a little history. Dr. W.A. Criswell says, Although written quite early in the history of the church, James was not immediately accorded complete acceptance within the Christian community. This is perhaps best explained by the fact that being written specifically to Jewish Christians, it was less immediately applicable to what had rapidly become a predominantly Gentile church membership by the end of the first century. In addition, some church leaders, including Martin Luther for a time, felt that James contradicted Pauline doctrine concerning justification by faith alone. But, of course, even Martin Luther recognized that's not what James was really teaching. A careful reading of the epistle, however, will reveal the error in that evaluation. I did a quick count. Over 40 references are found in the epistle of James to both Old and New Testament passages found in James. Both Apostle Paul, as we've read, and Jude attest to James' writings. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul did, and Jude certainly did in the opening verse of the epistle with his name on it. Attest to James' authenticity as a Christian authority. As we study the books that are included in our Bibles, we don't depend on Uh, early church fathers, if you will. We don't depend on the councils that considered these things. They do help, but that is not what we depend on. We depend on the Apostle Paul and Jude saying that James' writings were authentically from God. We call that self-authentication. That's how the books of our Bible should be chosen Why 66? James is one of the 66 because both the Apostle Paul and Jude attested to the authority of James' writings. The epistle of James does not contradict any other Bible teaching, but only serves to illustrate many other clear Bible teachings. It is a book that illustrates much Bible truth. So we can confidently say that James is included in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works it's included in that 
So back to James 1, verse 1. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which were scattered abroad, greeting. I hope, I hope this helps us put some things into order. James is the one not only that says he was God's penman for this book, but that others have attested to as well. And he calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that? A servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means a bondman or a bond slave. He placed himself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him in whatever capacity God had for him. And he even died for the cause. He was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he put himself under that? Because he recognized the price had already been paid for his sin, for his need of eternal life. And it's been paid for you and for me as well. He owed Christ his all. We owe Christ our all. And he called him Lord. The Greek word is kurios, and it means master. It's applied to God. And rightfully so. James accepted Christ as his Lord, his God. Brandon isn't here this morning, but I was planning to say this anyway, and it would be okay with him. He thought about it, and he weighed the evidence a long time. And he believed that Jesus Christ is his Lord, his Master, his God. It's never too late. It's never too late. I suppose there could be an exception to that. If you draw your last breath and don't exhale it or whatever, then it is. Jesus was James' brother. Christ is God's anointed Messiah who suffered for James' sins and for yours and for mine. The obvious question is, have you accepted him as James did? That would not have been an easy one, a different dynamic altogether, but James did accept him. If James can serve Christ all his remaining life, so can you, so can I. Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is, are you his servant? I don't know your hearts. There may be a decision that needs to be made just in this introductory verse to the epistle to James. I trust the Holy Spirit has free course. Heavenly Father God, I do ask you that what we just reviewed will be something that you challenge us by. As we recognize that you changed a man that was unlikely, one that probably harbored some jealousy. I don't know what all was involved, but you changed him and he sold himself out unto the Lord. So must we. We have no excuse. Neither did James. And Father, I thank you for the example. I ask you that we would consider afresh if we really are a child of God. And if not, if we're not sure, if someone here is not sure, Father, I ask you that you would challenge them to talk with me right after this service is over. And for those of us who know we are saved, born again, are we really serving you as we ought? I ask you, Heavenly Father, that the Holy Spirit would do that work in each of us. And Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you can save a soul like James and me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I would like to ask you to open your hymnals now as we dismiss to have thine own way, Lord, number 494. And let's see, maybe we'll just sing a couple verses of this. 494. Let's sing, I know it's a fairly short one, but just the first and last verses. Everybody stand and we'll sing, have thine own way, Lord, verse 1 and verse 4.
were dismissed. <laughs>